Second Chronicles chapter number 20. Alright, hopefully I didn't tell you Corinthians because it'll take you five minutes to find Chronicles. Alright, Second Chronicles chapter number 20. And uh, we're going to read a few verses here. We'll actually go through just about the entirety, or uh, probably, I guess, maybe two-thirds of the chapter um, this evening. And I'm going to try to go as fast as I can, but I want us to start reading in verse number 14, and then we'll read verse number 15, okay? Then I'll kind of give you what's happening here uh, after we read. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Now, I'm going to read that last phrase again. For the battle is not yours, but God's. Let's quickly pray. God in heaven, we once again ask you that you would touch us tonight. Lord, we've got your word open right in front of us. Now, we pray that you would preach out of it. God, I pray that you would use the foolishness of preaching for your glory tonight. We ask you that you would help your people, encourage us and strengthen us, Lord. There's a battle that lies ahead, and we pray that you would help us, Lord, to receive the victory through you. God, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. And I, I, I've got kind of a lengthy title, so I'm going to give it to you twice. Uh, the battle is the Lord's, the victory is ours. I'm going to give that to you again. The battle is the Lord's. The victory is ours. Now, it's 7 o'clock, straight up and down right now. I'm going to try to go for about 20 minutes this evening. And so if, if I do that, then y'all each give me a dollar, okay? So we look here and we find in verse number uh, 15, we find the king, Jehoshaphat. Now, if, if, if you've, if you've been reading through your Bible or you've, you've read through your Bible, um, we are not there yet, unless you've done the, the chronological, you may have read through here. Uh, but we find that Jehoshaphat is not an obscure character, though most of us don't remember him. We, we read through it and, and a lot of times, especially when you get to Chronicles, you kind of zone out in your reading because you've already read it in 1 Kings and so it's hard to remember who's who. But then you get over to the New Testament and you find reference of this same king, but he's got a different name. So just to kind of tell you who we're talking about, this is the great, great grandson of King Solomon. Okay, And uh, over in Matthew chapter number 1, somewhere around verse number 5, verse number 6, Jesus, uh, well not Jesus, but Matthew, writes about the genealogy of Christ. And in that, you find David and Solomon, Asa, a few other folks, and then you come down to Jehoshaphat. Uh, but there, in the Gospels, he is called, Je- uh, uh, Je- he's called something else. Uh, Joshaphat, not Jehoshaphat, whatever it is. Uh, and so, there is a, he's called Josaphat, okay? I don't know which one's either easier, Jehoshaphat or Josaphat. Either one of them has got a fat guy in right in the middle of it, and so it fouls me up every time I think about it. So as you as you know who we're talking about, 
You also have to know kind of what's going on. Uh, as seems to be the pattern, you have a, a king that is godly and he's following after the Lord, and then you find that uh, the next king doesn't. You can kind of see this in David. Now, David, we know David failed multiple times, but he was a man after God's own heart. That comes from God himself. And so then you have Solomon, and I mentioned this kind of in passing, uh, but Solomon, it was said of him that he followed not fully after the Lord. The reason being is because he compromised. Somebody say amen right there. He compromised with all these women that he had, and the women wasn't necessarily the issue that he had, but it was all their false gods and their false teachings uh, that he also accepted. Uh, but then also their idols, and he took part in this style of worship. So you find that David followed after God, even though he did fail, and we all do. Somebody say amen. Then you find uh, Solomon that seems to be a godly man, but God himself said he followed not fully after the Lord. And so from there you find, you can even go back to Saul. Saul was a great man, uh, but then God took his hand off of him. So you have someone that didn't follow God, then you have David that followed God, then Solomon that didn't, and then you go from generation to generation and they're up and they're down. They're with God, they're away from God. Jehoshaphat is one that follows God, thankfully. In Second Chronicles chapter 17, Verse number 3 down through 6, it says, And the Lord was with Jehoshaphat, because he walked in the first ways of his father David, and sought not unto Balaam, but sought to the Lord God of his father, and walked in his commandments, and not after the doings of Israel. Therefore the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, Jehoshaphat's hand, and all Judah brought to Jehoshaphat presence, and he had riches and honor in abundance, and his his heart was lifted up in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he took away the high places and the groves out of Judah. All right? So one reason that he was so honored by the Lord is because he took away all of those things that were in place to worship Baal. Okay? And so in our text, though, we find, and we'll read it in just a moment, we find in verse 14 and verse 15 that the Spirit of God comes upon, uh, if I could say it like this, the priest, and he begins to talk the words of the Spirit, and he says in verse number 15, he says, uh, you don't have to be afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God. So what is this great multitude? Uh, if we were to look back at the beginning of the chapter, we find in verse number 1 and verse number 2 that the people of Ammon and the people of Moab and the people of Mount Seir are coming after Jehoshaphat in the land of Judah, and they are all ganging up together on this one kingdom of Judah, okay? And so um, I, I want to kind of leave it right there and get right into the message and give you number one, Jehoshaphat faced his problems. Now, we're talking about the battle is the Lord's, but the victory is ours. And so what did the king do to receive victory? Number one, he faced his problems. Look with me in verse number three. And Jehoshaphat feared... How many has ever feared something that you're facing? Say amen, raise your hand. Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. 
And Judah gathered themselves together to ask the help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of the Lord, or in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem, in the house of the Lord before uh, the new court. And so we look also in verse number 6, Jehoshaphat said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? And in thine hand is there not power and might, so that none is able to withstand thee? So number one, Jehoshaphat faced his problems. Now, the very... I guess the third word that we read there in verse number three is the word fear. Jehoshaphat feared. Remember, there are three armies coming against him and against his people. So I believe it is a natural fear of this impending battle. But he set himself, look at it, and Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. Uh, one writer said that we ought to note how this pious soldier began his defense. Not in mustering his soldiers, not in raising his army, but in humbling himself and his people before the Lord. He says, do, my brother, put it down for certain that whatsoever begins with prayer will find cause to end in praise. There is an impending battle here, and the very first thing outside of fear, which is natural for all of us, the very first thing he did was to set himself in order to go to God. If we are going to get the victory that that has been promised to us, and I'll give you that in just a moment, then we're going to have to face our fear, but also face it in the right way. I believe in our modern day that there's too few of us that are willing to face our problems, but when we do, we seem to face it in our own strength and our own wisdom. Now, James says that if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. And so that gives us a promise, Brother Jody, that we can have wisdom. Uh, if we look back at Solomon, God asked him what he could give him, and he says, I want wisdom, and God gave him wisdom. So wisdom is something that God gives us, but if it is our human wisdom, if it's our finite wisdom, and we try to face our battles with that and our strength alone, then we will fail, i, I got to repeat that, we will fail in whatever we try to do. But I'm glad that God here gives us kind of a precedent on how to face an impending battle. Uh, first, we do, we need to face the battle that is ahead of us. In our churches, we need to face the battle ahead of us. In Again, in our churches... We find maybe coldness, we find pride, we may find worldliness or carnality, we may find a refusal to accept responsibility. One writer that, that I, I just love to read after, he's not a, uh, he is a Christian, but he's not a Christian writer, if that makes sense. Uh, but he says we need to have the mentality that the buck stops here. If there's a problem, it's not mama's fault, it's not daddy's fault, it's not my boss's fault, it's my fault. Even if it's not my fault, I, it, I can change 
change it. I could either change it or stop it right here. And so in our, 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 our modern churches, we often try to put the blame on someone else. If a, if a pastor gets called in sin, he tries to put the blame on someone else. No, 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 no. Who got called in sin? The pastor did. So the pastor needs to deal with it. If a brother or a sister in the congregation gets called in sin or they get wrapped up in something, then they are the only ones that can stop it. It's, it's no one else that can do that. Uh, so we need to face our problems. And Jehoshaphat set himself in order. He says in verse number three to seek the Lord. It just kind of makes me wonder what he had to do in order to prepare to seek the Lord. Now, I don't have any notes on that, Brother Jody, but there are sometimes, I heard Brother Rufus Edmonston years ago, he was preaching through the uh, the, the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And uh, it says, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And so Brother Rufus began to talk about this, and he said there's sometimes that we have such a need that we cannot truly begin to ask God to meet that need because of something that we've hidden in our hearts. And we have to start with, God, the house is on fire, but Lord, please forgive me. Please forgive. And, and I realize there's some argument about that, whether God can hear, uh, hear that prayer or not. And, and I know where I stand, but I firmly believe that we need to live a Christian life where if the battle is coming and we can see the dust from the army's hooves, we need to be prepared at any moment in time to go to God without having to constantly bow and with a contrite heart saying, God, forgive me for all that I've done. Now, it doesn't say that that was the need for Jehoshaphat, but it does say that he set himself how to seek the Lord. Maybe all he did was bow. Maybe that was him setting himself. I'm going to get in a posture of prayer. I'm going to get in a posture where I know I can get into no trouble but to pray to God. A lot of times, and this is me, and I've been honest about this, sometimes distraction messes me up for hours on end when I try to get in and I try to study. I'll start and then something shiny will happen over here, Nick, and I'll get distracted. Or maybe a book calls out over here and I begin to do that. Or maybe I get a phone call and I get so distracted. But listen, if we truly are going to face our problems, we're going to have to be serious about what we're dealing with and not just casually go about the the, the battle that may be ahead. Number two, uh, he found a promise. <laughs> I got eight minutes. Uh-oh. He found a promise. Look with me, verse number seven. I'll, I'll try to go quickly. He continues his prayer. Now, verse number six, you're just going to have to read that again on your own. But he begins to ask, God, aren't you the one that does the, aren't you the God? Aren't you, aren't you, aren't you? So verse number seven, he says, are not thou our God who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel and gavest it to the seed of Abraham, thy friend? I love that because Abraham was a what? Friend of God. 
So he <laughs> he testifies on behalf of Abraham. He said, God, you gave it to your friend forever. And verse number 8, they uh, dwelt therein and have built thee a sanctuary therein uh, for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. He is not necessarily praying for himself. He is reminding God of a previous prayer and a previous promise. So number two, not only did he face his problems, but number two, he found a promise. Though his fathers have failed over and over again, and some lived for God and some did not, he knew, he had an understanding of the Word of God, or the words of God, the promises of God. He began to acknowledge there in verse number 6 who God was. He began to acknowledge what God had done. He began to acknowledge what God had promised. And you and I can depend on the promises of God too. That we, we I've heard different people talk about how many promises there are in, in the Bible, and I don't know, I've not counted them. Uh, I've not even come close to them. I've got a Bible um, that has all the promises highlighted in it. And I've not one time paid a flip through all those pages and read all of the promises. But every once in a while, I'll be reading a scripture and boom, from out of nowhere, there's a promise that that pounces off the page and grips my heart and it blesses me to no end. And it's one when when it does that, I can put it in my pocket. I know that sounds silly, but I can put it in my pocket. I can hold on to it and I can use it for when I need it. So the promises of God can help us too. Psalm 119, verse number 11. If you want to know, if you want to know what the promises of God, let me back up. If you're going to claim the promises of God, you need to know what God's Word says. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. If you want to know the promises of God, you've got to get in His Word. Let's look at this. Psalm 119, verse 42. So shall I have wherewith to answer him that reproacheth me. He's talking about the word of God. For I trust in thy word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth. For I have hoped in thy judgments. There's that word of God again. So shall I keep thy law, the word of God, continually forever and ever. I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. The word of God. Verse 46. I will speak of thy testimonies. The Word of God, also before kings, and will not be ashamed. And I will delight myself in thy commandments, the Word of God. You got it right. Uh, which I have loved. Verse 48, my hands also will I lift up unto thy commandments, the Word of God, which I have loved, and I will meditate in thy statutes. The Word of God. And so, the psalmist here, he gives us over and over and over again about the promises and about the Word of God, about the truths, about the statutes, about the precepts. But according to verse number 11, we're never going to know any of those in verse 42 down through verse 48 unless we hide God's Word in our heart. And so, before we can ever get to number two and finding a promise, we've got to make sure that we have the Word in our hearts. Number three, he confessed... I know this is a long word and it probably ain't even a word. And I know ain't, ain't, ain't either. But he confessed his powerlessness. It's got a lot of S's in it. He confessed his powerlessness or his lack of power. Verse 12 and 13. 
He says, Our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know we what to do. There's no wisdom there. But our eyes are upon thee. Don't miss that last phrase. He said, God, we have no strength. We have no wisdom. But we see you. Mm. Mm. Let's go back to the playground years and years ago. Big brother's in high school. You're in elementary or middle school. The bully comes up to you. You know you can't whoop that bully. Big brother can. You see big brother coming and you start getting a little froggy. All right, bully, I'll tell you what, I'm going to whoop you. And you talk your way out of it until big brother's close enough to see what's happening. Then you just simply step aside while big brother takes care of the bully. What happened here? He's like, God, there's a bully coming up here. I I know I can't fight him alone. I don't really know what to do, but I see you. Mm, There's something in that. We have no might against the enemy. Matter of fact, in, in, uh, is it second Corinthians chapter number 12, verse six or seven, when Paul talks about that thorn in the flesh and Jesus said, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. When we are at our weakest, that's when God is at his strongest. We have no might against the enemy. We have no human knowledge of how to fight, but our eyes are upon the Lord. What better defense is there to look to Him? We think about all of the troubles and we can get our eyes on the things of this world or we can look to Jesus. We can get discouraged by the battle that we're in or we can look to Jesus. One of these days, one of these days, it's going to be at least seven years from now. Some of y'all know where I'm going. One of these days, after the tribulation and the great tribulation, after after the rapture and then the tribulation, the saints of God are going to come back behind the Lord Jesus and He's going to be on His white horse. It's about here that Jonathan Hatcher would mount the pulpit, but I don't have the time nor the energy for that. But He's going to be on His white horse and He's going to be fighting a battle. And all we're, I don't I don't read anywhere where we're going to battle at all you know what we're going to do? We're going to be looking to Him. The one that fights the battle. If He comes today, Samuel, seven years from now, it's going to happen. He confessed His powerlessness. Quickly, I know I'm I'm at 20 minutes, but y'all were so good, I'm going to take a couple more. The Spirit revealed His protection. Verse 14 down through verse number 18. I'm not give you all of this. We've already read the first two verses of it. I want to read verse number 15 again. This is the Spirit talking through Jehaziel. And he says, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou, King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours but God's. He goes down in verse number 16. says, Tomorrow you go down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz. And ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness. He says in verse 17, Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Mm. 
What did they do over here in verse number 3? And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord. What does verse number 17 said? Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see this, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. I'm going to quit reading right there. He, the Spirit, showed or revealed His protection. He says, I, I, don't worry about it. Now, we look at this and we see that the Spirit came into the congregation in verse number 14. I feel like it's interesting. This may just be because of, of, of my position. But I find it very interesting that He didn't just say, then upon Jehaziel, the Spirit of the Lord came in the midst of the congregation. But he kind of gave his pedigree there. But I believe the reason that he gave that pedigree or his lineage is to show exactly who he was. This was not just a man of the congregation of Israel, but this was the priest. This was the Levite. This was the man that was taking care of the temple. His work was the temple. His work was tending the fire. His work was in the Word of God. And so, as we think about that, God came. I, I get, I get a little, I get a little, as a pastor, I get a little aggravated sometimes. Y'all have never done this, thankfully. But I get a little aggravated when someone decides that they heard from the Lord about something in the church, but the pastor hasn't. That makes me a little leery or wary about the hearts. Now, now believe me, God can speak to anybody's hearts. That's not what I'm saying. But as far as leading the church, I've seen this in other churches. I've, I've, I've prayed with other men that have had this happen where people came to the pastor and said, the Lord is, is telling, telling me we as a church need to do this. And that pastor has no clue about that leadership. Because it's not of God. But the Spirit of God comes to, if I could say it like this, the man of God. And he says, I've got a message for the congregation. So the congregation now, in verse number 15, is listening. And the Spirit spoke to the congregation. And he says, be not afraid. The battle is not yours, but it is God. Now, just in side note, and I realize we got the cream of the crop here tonight. But it'd be awful hard, be awful hard to hear from the Holy Spirit of God about this impending battle if they weren't there in the congregation. Be awful hard. The churches all across the country, the world probably, they've got folks that are falling away, are falling away. They're in, they're out, they're up, they're down. And the whole time they're down and they're out, they're not hearing from God's Word. So I challenge you in that. I challenge you. Get in the congregation. And I know you're here tonight. Thank you. But get in the congregation. Be here where you need to be. Last, he, Jehoshaphat, he appointed praisers. Lori said the other day it was hard for her to take notes Sunday morning because it wasn't alliterated. And I said, I don't really like alliterating. One is because of the word powerlessness. Okay? The other is the word praisers. I don't think that's a real word, but I alliterated it and then she didn't even show up tonight. 
She's actually in the back helping with the kids. So he appointed praisers. They did not. And I got, I got to tell you where it's at. Verse 21 and verse 22. When he consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord. And that should praise the beauty of holiness. Get a hold of that word or phrase. As they went out before the army and and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. He appointed praisers. They didn't dwell on the enemy ahead. Nowhere does it say they began to tremble in their boots and and, and have vibrato in their voice as they began to praise God. No, they began to, what did, what did they, what, what did he actually say? They sang of the beauty of holiness. You know what they did? They started thinking about how holy and how worthy and how good God had been. Maybe some of the prayer that Jehoshaphat prayed in verse number six and verse number seven and verse number eight and verse number nine, maybe that is kind of what uh, uh, fueled them. Maybe it was what the Spirit said through Jehaziel uh, that he says, you don't have to be afraid. The battle's not yours. It's God's. Maybe maybe they they uh, uh, were, were excited about God's Word. Maybe they were strengthened and maybe they were challenged and emboldened because of the faith that God just gave them a message. So they began to sing not about the enemy ahead. They didn't lift up the king. They didn't sing of their own accomplishments, but they sang of the beauty of holiness. They said, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever at the end of verse 21. There's battles that we face. but I want you to know that we have a victor. We have a victor. Okay. We all probably have heard that song. Don't know who sang it. Battle's not mine, said little David. Lord, it's thine, I'm in your favor. The whole time I was studying this, I was thinking about that song. The battle's not mine. Brother Jody last night talked about David being a little boy, a ruddy boy, but yet he come out and with the help of God, he slew the giant. And what did he say? He essentially said the same thing, Brother Jody. This is not my battle, it's the Lord's. We, we're gonna have battles that may be physical, that may be mental, that may be spiritual, but I want you to remember this, Romans chapter 8 verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. The battle is not yours tonight, church. It is the Lord's. I'm talking about this spiritual battle. Some of you are dealing with physical battles, and, and that turns into mental battles, and that turns into spiritual battles. So go all the way to the, to the root of this thing, those physical things. God can handle those physical battles. God, God can give you victory over those physical battles as well. Does that mean I think about the song that Brother Craig Edwards wrote or sang, Brother David sings it. You prayed for a loved one. They needed healing. Have you prayed for a loved one? You wanted them to be healed so much. And God answered your prayer, but their healing was over yonder, not here. That's hard for us to accept. That's hard for us to pray for sometimes. And I'm not praying that on anybody. I want your healing to be here, but we still got to pray for the will of God. But sometimes 
God gives us victories while we're still in the battle. And so keep on pressing on. Because we get to claim the victory. When it's all said and done, we get to claim the victory. Let's stand tonight.